Well, fears, fears, we all have them. They come in different forms and different ways, but all of us have fears. Uh, one definition of fear, one description of fear is an unpleasant emotion right, that's caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, can cause pain, or is a threat. Let me say that again. One definition of fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, can cause pain, or is a threat. And so we feel afraid, right, when we encounter an uncertain future, when something or someone is dangerous, seems dangerous, painful, or threatening. Right? Fears come in many forms, and so many times our fears go back to our initial experiences of fear. So I invite you to consider and think, when did you first experience fear? What are some of your earliest memories of fear in your life? I know for me as a child, there was a fear of darkness, right? And especially going to bed at night. Right? There was that, oh, that fear, right? As I looked at the closet, right? And what's behind the closet? But also with that, uh, my parents who noticed my fear thought they were doing me a favor by putting in a nightlight. But that nightlight generated all kinds of shadows. And so they thought they were making it better, but they were making it far worse. And I can still picture some of those shadows in my room that as I lay in bed at night looking around the room, seeing all of a sudden those shadows seemed to move. And so it didn't really make it a lot better. I also had fears of definitely of my parents when I got into trouble. Right? How were my parents going to react when I was caught, when I got into trouble? And yes, I got in trouble. Pastors get in trouble. We're, we're human too, right? So like as a child, I got in trouble. And I remember those words from my mom, just wait till your dad gets home. Right, and waiting for my dad to arrive home and just that fear of what was going to happen. Uh, what was he going to say? What type of punishment would I get? Fears come in many forms. Now, as I think about my, my childhood, some of the biggest fears came from scary movies. Movies I probably shouldn't have seen uh, at, at certain ages. I remember as a family, we rented a movie one day. Now, l- let me take you back in history. There was a time in life when you actually had to go to a physical store like to rent a movie. Think about this. And you would actually pay with this, this green paper called cash. And you would give them cash, and they would give you a videotape that looks something like this. Right? It's a museum right today, right? And uh, you'd bring this home, and you'd put it inside a VHS player and play it. And uh, many of you recall that if you, if you didn't rewind it before you brought it back, you, were, you had to pay extra money, which is insane. But I remember we rented a movie, and it was a 1982 version of Poltergeist. I was really young. We watched that movie. I mean, I don't know how I didn't run from that room. I was a captive audience, and that movie injected decades of fear into my life. I'm still not recovered from that movie. I mean, honestly, fear of of thunderstorms. Fear of darkness still. Fear of big trees. Fear of pools. Fear, fear of graveyards. Fear of, of like, no doubt, fear of clowns. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I don't recommend seeing the movie. It is, I don't know how they rated that thing PG, um, but it was rated PG. That's a whole other story. But that movie injected decades of fear, right? As you think about those things that can, uh, someone or something that can cause Right, any type of fear in you, it sticks with you. Right, fear is real. We all have different kinds of fears. Um, as you think about studies that have been done over the years and surveys, right, what are the highest levels, things that cause fear, things like speaking in public, heights, bugs, being trapped in small places, right, blood, 
Ghosts, yes, clowns, these things have illicit fear. That's what people are most scared of. But in our day and age, right, aren't there a lot of sources of fear? Right, as we look at the news, as we look at social media, as we have conversations, fear comes from all angles. As you think about the pandemic and COVID, even this week, right, the news of yet another variant. What is this Omicron variant? It could produce fear. As you look at our world and threats from other nations around the world, it can induce fear. As we think about politics and, and divisions over race and discussions, discussions around race, that can cause fear. Fear can come from lots of different places. So what are we to do? As we think about fear, typically the responses, right, are fight, flight, or freeze, right? When we encounter something that's scary, we may want to resist it or battle it. We may, in terms of fighting it, we may want to run away from it in terms of flight, or others, we just go numb and give up and freeze. I know I experience these feelings often as I think about my life. If I'm honest with you, there's times I wake up in the middle of the night with a storm of ideas and thoughts and wonders, like, what's going to happen? I wrestle with fear. My guess is you wrestle with fear too. And as we come into this season, this season of Advent, like Jennifer talked about, this season of preparing to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ and his birth nearly 2,000 years ago, you know, we need to look to the light of the world, Jesus, the one who can drive out that fear. And so how are we to do that? And I, you know, I think about the words of the Apostle Paul to his young, to his young leader, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.7. Right, one of Mike Flavin's favorite verses, right? That God did not give us a spirit of fear. He did not give us a spirit, you know, uh, that's not, he gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Right, that in the midst of a world that there's lots of sources of fear, that as followers of Christ, we've been given God's personal, powerful presence, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And this spirit, we're told, is not a spirit of fear. But we're human, aren't we? And we face uncertain futures. And when something seems dangerous or a threat or could cause pain, very real fears come up inside of us. So what are we to do with that fear? Um, ultimately, we are to turn to God. Right? As we, if you recall from a couple weeks ago, we talked about the role of emotions. Right? And Emotions aren't all bad. Emotions can be something used by God to propel us to motion, and that motion ultimately should be to move towards him, to turn towards God. Lots of times when we experience different emotions like fear, the temptation is to try to take hold of life, to try and take control, to try and make the fear go away. But God says, do not fear throughout Scripture. And ultimately, that fear doesn't come from the power of positive thinking. It comes from turning to Him and letting those fears, and when we know there's uncertainties in the future, let that drive us into the hands and arms of a loving Father. And so as we think about scripture over and over, we hear those words, do not fear, right? In the stories and accounts leading up to Jesus' birth, right? Zechariah in the temple, a messenger comes and he's completely freaking out. It was, he did not think anyone was gonna be in the temple and he heard the words, do not fear, right? Mary, when she was gonna be with child and the angel Gabriel came to her, he said, do not fear. Joseph, when he had a dream and was told that he needed to take Mary as his wife, the messenger, the Lord, the angel of the Lord said, do not fear, Right, we see it throughout the Bible, those great words, do not fear. One of my favorite references is in Isaiah 43, when God says, I've created you and formed you. You are mine. I've redeemed you. He says, do not fear. When you go through the waters, when you go through the fires, I will be with you. And because of that, you don't have to fear. And then the great words of 1 John 4, 18, right? John, one of Jesus' closest friends, he wrote these words. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love 
drives out fear. Right? A couple verses earlier, John showed that God is love. Three powerful words unique to the Christian faith that God is love. So God who's love and Jesus who reveals God and perfect love drives out fear, then the conclusion is that Jesus drives out fear. And so in the weeks leading up to Christmas, during this Advent season, we're going to look at the traditional themes of Advent. And we're going to see how the hope of Christ, the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ, and the love of Christ drive out fear. We're going to take each topic each week, look at what it means, a biblical definition of hope, a biblical definition of peace and of joy and love, and show how that drives out fear in our lives. Do not fear. Say those words with me. Do not fear. Feels good to say that, right? Say that again. Do not fear. Right? That's where we're going to focus on in the weeks ahead. Again, in the season of Advent, which Advent means coming or arrival. Right? In this season, we reflect on Jesus and his arrival and coming and his birth nearly 2,000 years ago. And also looking forward to the promise that he made that he would come again, that he would arrive or come again for the second Advent. We are in between those times now. As we look back to the past and seeing how God fulfilled his promises in the past, we could have confidence in the present as we look towards our future, knowing that he's going to fulfill those promises in the future. So what are some of those promises? Well, today our focus again is the, is the hope of Christ. And as we look at the hope of Christ, we look at some passages around hope and what that means. Um, so first is this great prayer from the Apostle Paul towards the end of his uh, letter to the Christians in Rome. In, in Romans 15, 13, he says this great prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what a great prayer. It's like Paul just breaks out into this prayer in this letter, recognizing, acknowledging that the God of Scripture, the God of Jesus Christ is the God of hope. And this God is, can fill us with all joy and all peace. How? As we trust in him. As we look to him, he fills us with all joy and peace. Are we supposed to keep it to ourselves? No, so that we may overflow with hope, Paul prays. Right? How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? This is the God that we serve, the God of hope. The God, as we look to him and trust, he fills us with all joy and peace and so that we can then overflow. For me, it's a picture of almost having, like there's all this stuff in a jar and taking a big glass of water and pouring it in. And as the water just gushes into the jar, I would have done it, but I would have made a mess. Right? As the water gushes in, it just sends all that bad stuff out. And it's a picture of light overcoming darkness. It's a picture of perfect love driving out fear. Well, how does that happen? Again, does it happen by the power of positive thinking or mindfulness or just hoping for the best? No, it comes through the power of God's word. Right, because a couple verses earlier in Romans 15, 4, we read this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse in Romans, it gives me a picture of what the Bible is, right? That the scriptures were recorded so we could have endurance. They were recorded so we could have encouragement. They were recorded so that we can find hope. And that hope is found because every page of scripture points to Jesus Christ and that hope that he provides. And so I want us to put that into practice with a couple passages specifically that talk about hope in, in, in the New Testament. And the first one is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. So as we look to God's word for, for that endurance and encouragement and hope, we read this in 1 Peter 1, 3 through, 3 through 5. 
Peter writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Right, Peter breaks out into praise. Like the praise of God. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He praises God. And then what has this, this God done? He records how God in his great mercy, in other words, his loving kindness. Remember, God is love. Out of who he is, out of his loving kindness, out of his great mercy, he's given us new birth. Into what? Into a living hope. Not a hope that's stagnant, not a hope that's dead, but it's living, it's alive, it's ongoing, it's not gonna die. And how do we know that? He said through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? Jesus who's resurrected in real time by the power of God, resurrected to life. Jesus is not dead, therefore our hope as we're united with him is not dead. It's alive and well, and it's kept, as we read, it's kept in heaven for us. And it's in the form of an inheritance, Peter says. An inheritance which in the Old Testament would have pointed to the land, that they would have inherited land. But in the New Testament, it points to God's grace that we receive both now and ultimately on the day of judgment when Jesus returns. Here he says, we've received this inheritance. It's kept in heaven. It'll never spoil. It'll never perish. It'll never fade. It's kept in heaven for us. Safe, secure. And then he says this great promise, that those who trust in God are shielded, shielded by God by his power. And this occurs all the way into the time when Jesus is revealed or until he comes back again. Here in this great set of verses in the first Peter, we see looking to the past of God's promises. We see the present, what it means to live in the present moment and, and have be, to put our trust in God now based on what he's gonna do in the future. And it's a living hope, a hope that doesn't die, a hope that continues. So what's the nature of this hope? One more passage for us to consider is in Romans 8, where Paul says this about hope. Uh, verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 24 through 25. He says this, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Right? This is a different definition of hope. This is not uh, hope, typically if I think about hope, and so you were to go out on the street and if you were to go out during the, holiday, the Christmas walk on Friday night and start interviewing people saying, how would you describe hope? I'm sure people would say it's a wish. It's a wish that things go better. All right, that's a, I hope, hope this happens. You know, I hope things turn out better. But that's not a biblical description of hope. Here we see as Paul describes hope through, his, through the word of God, which brings us endurance and encouragement and hope. Hope is not just a wish. And hope is also not something that we can make, that we could change our future by what we can control based on what we have. Let me say that again. Our, we don't find hope in what we already have and what we can control. Here he says it's based on what we yet have. And that's a big word in this passage, what we yet have. Paul says a biblical hope is, rested, is resting on who God is. It's based on his promises. And it's based on waiting, waiting patiently. 
So it's less about a wish. It's less about controlling our future. It's waiting on God, waiting on his promises, and waiting patiently. Now the word patient, another translation or description of that is long-suffering. Right? Patience sounds a lot better than long-suffering, right? But the Bible's realistic that waiting involves a form of suffering, a form of yearning, a form of even groaning as we wait. But if we wait on someone who's trustworthy, God, he gives us the, great, the grace to wait for what's going to occur. So it's a different kind of definition of hope. And the early concept of hope in the, in the Bible we see is fixed, it's always fixed on God. And it embraces three things, right? An expectation of the future, it embraces trusting, and embraces the patience of waiting. And so always there's an expectation of the future that God's going to move. But it's, again, it's not a wish. It's trusting a personal God that we have a relationship with, and then it involves the patience of waiting. Um, biblical hope is described in the theological dictionary of the New Testament. This is a mouthful, so I'm going to read it twice. Are you ready? Biblical hope is not concerned with the realization of a human dream of the future, but with the confidence which, directed away from the world to God, waits patiently for God's gift. And when it is received, does not rest in possession, but in the assurance that God will maintain what he has given. That's a lot to take in on a Sunday morning. Let me read that again. Biblical hope is not concerned with the realization of a human dream of the future. In other words, a wish. But with the confidence which, directed away from the world to God, waits patiently for God's gift. And when it is received, does not rest in possession, but in the assurance that God will maintain what he has given. So how does this hope drive out fear? What does it look like? Right, in review, right, if perfect love drives out fear and Jesus, right, Jesus reveals God, God who is love, then Jesus drives out fear. And different aspects of Jesus drive out fear, including the hope of Christ. So what does that look like? What I suggest to you today is that to let God drive out fear, to let Jesus drive out fear, we need to get on the balcony of hope as opposed to staying in the floor of fear. What I mean by that is when you're in the middle of it, when you're on the floor and you look left and right and you can't see what's happening and all you see are possibilities of what can go wrong and all the different fears that are coming at you, on the floor of fear, it's very difficult to have hope. But God invites us onto what I call the balcony of hope to see it differently. It makes me think of a time when our family was down in Texas. Like, Lori grew up outside Dallas. We took a trip down to Texas a couple of years ago. And part of the trip, we went, in, went to Fort Worth. And in Fort Worth, as part of a marketplace, there was this massive maze. It was kind of like a corn maze, but instead of corn, it had wooden, had wooden walls. And so part of the family went in, and we went in to go take on this maze, right? And we broke off into different teams. And, of course, we're making our way through the maze. And eventually, we found our way all the way through it. The maze was fine, but what was really interesting is when we were done with the maze, there was a set of steps that took you to a landing where you could then go and look down over the whole maze. And by going up the steps and you look down at the maze, you, all of a sudden we looked and said, look, over there, that's where we turned left. We should have turned right. Or, man, look over there. We were heading in the right direction. And we made the bad decision. And we went the wrong way. And we just prolonged our time. If we had just gone straight a couple more feet, we would have nailed that maze in minutes, not as long as it took. Right? By getting up above we can see what was happening down below. That's what God invites us to. As we look to him, we look to his promises, we can get on the balcony of hope as opposed to always living in the floor of fear. And so as we look to the past, right, we look to the past, we look to God's promises. God promised to send a Messiah. 
And he sent his son, then he sent his son Jesus and fulfilled those promises. He fulfills his promises over and over. As we look at the past and recount how he's fulfilled his promises in the past, it helps us get on the balcony of hope. As we consider our present situations, right, we can have confidence, proper confidence now as we trust in the one who provides those promises, recognizing he showed up in the past, he'll show up in the present as well. And then as we look to the future, right, as we have these, these fears, this, these potential problems where there's danger or potential pain or even threats, that we can look to God and hope, not wishing and hoping that things go well in a worldly way, but in a biblical way, trusting and believing that God will be with us no matter what we are facing, no matter what we are going through. I know for me, what does this look like for me? I know as I face my fears, and there's more fears than I often like to admit. Uh, you'll see it, whether in person, I tend to be a positive person. No doubt a positive person on social media, right? I'm, I, there's a lot of positivity in me. But deep inside, as I look at our world, especially as I consider my family, my daughters, and the world they're going to grow up in, and I start wondering and asking the questions, what, where is this going? As I look at our economy, as I look at all these different things, as I look at continue the pandemic, I have fears just like you. And the more that I try to control those fears, the more they control me. But I continue to learn that the more that I say, God, I can't control my future. I can't control my fears. But I give them to you and I surrender them to you. And as I get up on that balcony of hope, versus struggling on the floor of fear, I find that God gives me that hope to take that next step, knowing that I don't have to face my future alone, that God has gone before me and he is with me. And that's my encouragement to you. Whatever fears you're facing today, to say, to get on that balcony of hope, recognizing to look at the past, look at how God has showed up, ultimately in his son, Jesus Christ, promising that a Messiah would come and Jesus was sent. And this season, as we're leading up to Christmas, we can rejoice and celebrate that he fulfilled that promise perfectly. And he's going to continue to fulfill those promises. And as we look to him and trust in him, as we give our fears to him and surrender our fears to him, that he will walk with us into an unknown future, that he will fulfill those promises as we go forward. God invites us and calls us to trust him based on the past, looking towards the future with his help. Let me give you a couple, one thing to remember, one thing to do, and a couple questions for reflection as we finish. One thing to remember is just the hope of Christ drives out fear. Side note, I love that description in 1 John. Right, John, Jesus' friend in chapter 2, notice, remember if, when Jesus came to the temple, he drove out the money changers. This picture of clearing house. Right? This same John describes perfect love driving out fear. Right? So this is what God does. God can, the hope of Christ drives out fear as we trust in the promises of his ultimate provision and protection for us, both now and forever. So that's one thing to remember. Right? So one thing to do in light of this. Uh, to identify a specific fear. Right? Think about your life. I invite you to, this week to take out a piece of paper. There's power in writing things down. Write the letters F-E-A-R, fear, at the top. And start listing your fears. It's interesting, when you write things down, it could actually reduce the power of them over you, right? Just write out those fears. And start with one. Identify one. Say, God, I want to take that fear, number three, right there, and give it to you. Give it to you, God. 
and ask him to help you engage it differently in light of the hope of Christ. And in light of that, go with a different word that begins with F. Not fight, not flight, not freeze, but go with faith. Go with faith. Not blind faith, but rock solid faith based on who he is and his promises. So as you bring your fears to him, as you come to him in faith, all of a sudden you then can engage in a different kind of fight. You could withstand and fight your fears, not by your own strength, not trying to control your fears. The more you try and control your fears, the more they're going to control you. But if you come to him in faith, then he gives you the grace to resist those fears and to fight with his help and grace. He also gives you the ability to know when flight makes sense, when to back off, when to step away. So as you come to him in faith and in trust, all of a sudden you can re-enter a, a, a biblical, godly way of flight by knowing when to back off. And then lastly, as you come to him with f- your fears, he can give you a different way of freezing. A godly way of freezing is waiting on the Lord. Waiting, right? To wait in the Old Testament, the word that's translated to wait is also translated to hope, to hope. And so you freeze, not in a way which is I give up, I go numb and forget it, but to say, I'm going to wait on you, God. It's a different kind of freezing. So make that list this week, right? And then start with one. Say, God, I give it to you. I give it to you. I'm struggling with this. Be honest. Say, I need to know you're with me on this and you're going to lead me through. And then once you do it with one, go ahead. Go to another and another, but start with one. Start small. So to help you do this, some questions for reflection uh, to consider today or this week, right? Reflect on this past week or more, and what are some specific causes of fear in your life? Again, going back to that list. Number two, how does the biblical definition of hope differ from a wish? Right, based on what you've heard today, based on especially Romans 8, 24 through 25, consider what's different from just a wish. I hope this turns out well. I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow versus a biblical hope, a rock-solid hope that's based on him and his promises. Number three, in what ways can, you, can the hope of Christ push against or drive out fear in your life. As you look to him in hope, imagine how this could be different. And imagine instead of letting fears control you, or as you, like me, at points try to control fear and realize that then fear controls you, that you then say, no, God, I'm not gonna let these fears control me. I'm giving them to you. I ask for your help. Help me to make my way through this. Imagine what could be different where instead of fear driving you, that by the hope of Christ, you drive out fear. That his light overcomes darkness allows you to experience freedom from the very real fears that we all experience. Let fear move you to God as opposed to having you run away from him and see what happens. Um, let me finish with that great prayer from Romans 15, 13, when Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all, all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May that be the case with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love. God, you are perfect love and you drive out fear. I pray for every single person who has heard this message, God, from your word, that they, Lord, would bring their fears to you. Lord, in doing so, God, that they would experience a sense of freedom that comes from giving and surrendering those fears to the God who walks with us into our future. Lord, thank you that you are with us, you are for us, that your promises are real. I pray that you would give those who have given up hope, I pray that you would renew their hope today, that they would give you another chance. 
God, perhaps they feel let down by you. Perhaps, God, they feel like the past can't be reconciled. The past can't be redeemed. But God, you are the one who redeems. So for all of us, Lord, help us to look to you again. Help us to try again. Help us to learn to trust you. And as we, trust, learn to tr- as we seek to trust you, God, that, that we would trust you, give us the grace to overcome that lack of trust. Oh God, help us. Help us to surrender ourselves to you. Help us to get on the balcony of hope versus struggling in the, on the floor of fear. Thank you that you promised to take us forward. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.